Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. This is Chad. Once again this week, I am joined by Dan and Adrian. We sit down with Brittany Driscoll, the co-founder and CEO of a new massage concept called Squeeze. This thing is so cool. What an inc- they are revolution. She's she and her team are revolutionizing the massage industry, right? An industry that's been around forever and they are completely revolutionizing it. The concept is so cool. And even cooler than the concept is Brittany. She is an amazing human being and exemplifies a connected, caring, and loving leader. And it just, it shines through this interview and everything else that she does that I've been able to be witness to. I cannot wait for you to listen to this conversation. So let's dive in with Brittany. So Brittany, so great to have you. Would you take just a second to introduce yourself to the listeners? Well, thank you, gentlemen. It's an honor to be here. Hi, everyone. My name is Brittany Driscoll, and currently I am the co-founder and CEO of a new massage concept called Squeeze, which is founded by my dear friends and business partners, uh, Ali Webb and Michael Landau, who are best known as the founders of Drybar, uh, which is where I had the incredible fortune of running marketing for the past, or not the past four years, but for four years, uh, from 2013 to 2017, and helped grow the company from 30 million to over 100 million. It was an absolute ride of a lifetime. Prior to that, I had the opportunity to work with Fortune 500 brands, ranging from Disney to Coca-Cola, Hilton, Barbie and Hot Wheels were a few of my personal favorites because, of course, who doesn't love, um, you know, thinking like a child's mind and using your imagination all day long. So I've been really fortunate just to have a very diverse and blessed career path. And I would say, you know, my passion and focus now as we build Squeeze is really centered around people, which I would say is probably like my heart and soul and really where my um, my motivation comes from is just, you know, creating great experiences that are meaningful for, uh, you know, not only the guest experience, but the employee experience. And we're planning on scaling squeeze through franchising. So our operating partners are also a big piece of that. That's great. What about personally? I mean, anything, you don't have to share anything you don't want to share, but like, yeah, yeah how do you, where, where sure. do, you, do you take up personally? Um, well, let's see, I was born and raised in Southern California, so I appreciate, you know, the sunshine and outdoors. Um, I am married to a wonderful man named Jack. We currently live now in Nashville, Tennessee, primarily because, uh, we love country music and getting outdoors. So it's a good mix of, you know, enjoying entertainment and, um, having some, some reprieve, if you will, in this wild world. So I would say, you know, friends and family, cooking, entertaining. I love all those things. Um, And just trying to, gosh, trying to stay like centered and balanced in the wildness that we all, you know, kind of live and thrive in, but need a break every once in a while. So trying to make it all, you know, work. (laughs) We were joking before we hit record that uh, that Adrian's the last man standing in California. And, um, I'm curious for you, like what's been, there's so many people branching out, going to different areas of the country, big businesses are doing it as well. Yep. I'm, I'm curious, like what, what was that experience for you and Jack going out, venturing, going after something that you maybe imagined it would be a certain way. I don't know. And how does it compare to like what you imagined? Yeah, it's really interesting. So I've actually always wanted to, live in Nashville. I grew up on country music. I had an aunt who took me uh, on horseback riding trips growing up and we would always listen to country music and be out in the country and, you know, the land. And there was just something about it that really spoke to my soul. 
My husband is from New Jersey though. And he had lived in Atlanta for several years. He did like a quick stint in Ohio uh, for work. And then he has actually, or, or lived in California for Los Angeles specifically for over 20 years. And so, you know, after living in all those places, he was kind of like, you don't know how good you have it. Like California is the best. We're never moving. Um, he runs hot. So, you know, the weather in California is ideal versus the humidity in places like this. But, um, <laughs> but what's interesting and honestly, I mean, I tried to convince him to move probably every, we've been married for a, or a decade now. And I've, I probably tried to convince him to move like every single year. And it was always no. But when we launched Squeeze and we got the concept off the ground, you know, a lot of the benefit that we have in running this business is the hindsight of dry bar and just the learnings that we've had over the years and things that worked, of course, you know, we applied and things we wish we could have done differently. And one of the biggest things for me was I wanted to be a little bit more central, knowing that we were going to scale the business and the brand nationwide. And, you know, I wanted a place where franchisees could come in. Um, Nashville is obviously such a fun city, you know, a place to host people. But then also for myself, I actually suffered a terrible back injury towards the end of my time at Drybar. And I didn't want to be on a plane going 3000 miles across mm. the country every single time. So for whatever reason, when I kind of pitched it to Jack, after I had talked to Michael and Allie, of course, because I was like, how do you guys feel about this? Is this okay? Like, can I build the, you know, the corporate office um, a little bit more centrally? And they were like, yeah, go for it. Like, if you personally want to do it, like, we're all for it. And for whatever reason, Jack was like, okay, I think it's, I think it's right. And it, it was kind of wild, you know, think how things like that happen. And then we spent the past two years here. So we literally planned to move March of 2020. <laughs> um, and, uh, clearly not knowing what was ahead of us. And it's been just a really wonderful, wonderful experience. I always say Nashville is like, has big city feel, but small town charm. So there's like so much going on. There's a ton to do. There's constantly a new restaurant and a new ho hotel popping up. Like the energy is palpable, but the people are just so down to earth. Everyone still looks you in the eye and, you know, has a genuine conversation. So we really loved it, but you know, California will always be home. My parents are still there and obviously squeeze, um, our headquarters are, are there or the flagship location is there. So I kind of get the best of both worlds getting to go back and forth all the time. Yeah. It's, it's funny. You know, I, I grew up in small town, Southern Illinois, and we, I was just walking my kids back from school last week. And, uh, we passed some lady that I've never seen walking a dog. And I just said, howdy. And Charlie, my almost six-year-old looks up at me and she said, why are you talking like a cowboy? <laughs> I'm like, You're like I, I am a cowboy. <laughs> yeah. This is how I grew up. We say, how do you, or, or, say, or we say morning, you know? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Right. Morning. 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 <laughs> anyway, it's great. Yeah. It's I'm really stoked. I, I'm, I'm really stoked to have you on Brittany because our worlds have become, you know, interwoven over the past, you know, two plus years. Um, in my relationship with Allie and just know how much respect they have for you, how much love they have for you as a person, but respect they have for you as one that can like translate big picture, both Michael and Allie are both, you know, high energy, high ideas, high strung leaders. And you can see, seem to have been this kind of calming collective voice of materializing vision and then building the right things in it's an interesting dynamic, like your superpower. I'd be curious about uh, to ask a question. You're like, what, what do you think has been for you like a, a really essential trait that you've taken on, grown over the last, you know, when, as you've done this, this work as CMO of Drybar and then in, in the Feel Good Company and into Squeeze? Um, what has been like your kind of sweet spot? It's so interesting. I feel like as you grow in your career and as a leader, there's so many, well, first of all, I mean, building something from scratch and truly leading a team. I mean, Squeeze is my first true entrepreneurial venture up until then, you know, I worked in quote unquote corporate, even though I felt like driver was, you know, clearly, you know, the startup mentality. Um, there's so much that you're forced to like reckon with within yourself around, things that I thought I was stronger at than I really am and where I ultimately need help. And also, also the strengths that you really realize like, oh, this is where, this is like my zone of genius, you know, and this is where I should be focusing my time and my energy. And, and I think, you know, it's interesting. Um, 
I started my career in advertising. So all those brands that I mentioned earlier, I was on the service side of building their campaigns and, and brands. And, you know, there was a real service and people aspect to that role of, and I always, I was on the account side. So I wasn't a creative, I was strategy and client relationship. And so I feel like I just learned really early on in my career. And I can probably even go back to like my childhood and pull out some clear examples of like dealing with difficult people. But I think I just, <laughs> I think I just learned. Please go ahead mention them by name. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I think I just learned. So really early on, like how to read a room and also the motivations behind people, like what's really important to them, what do they value and how can I best um, give them confidence that that's understood. Uh, so I certainly think, and it's interesting, I was actually just having a conversation earlier today um, about franchising because franchising is actually, I'm in a similar boat now. Our franchisees are kind of like our clients, you know? And so it, it is servicing people again and, and, and supporting them. So I do think I've, that's always been a place that I have thrived and I really enjoy, you know, I really love being a part of like a big vision and disruption. Like even when I worked with Hot Wheels, we created this campaign called Hot Wheels for real. Most people don't know that the toys are built to scale or designed to scale. So we literally built Hot Wheels for real. We worked with the world's best race car drivers to subvert major sporting events like the X Games and the Indianapolis 500. We created an entire online series campaign and you know, it's like that. And I was, I was the project coordinator of that whole thing. And I worked with like every department to kind of make it all happen. And so I think there's so much motivation and excitement and purpose that I feel comes from being a part of a big team with a big vision and not kind of doing like the mundane work that, yeah, that I've just kind of found that, that sweet spot in, um, in taking those ideas and running with them. But I think what's such a beautiful testament to Michael and Allie too is, you know, they really had this idea and unlike Drybar where they were really involved in the day-to-day, you know, they really gave me the opportunity to spread my wings in a different way, which I'm really appreciative for because it's given me so much respect for um, what it really takes to drive and lead people and kind of be that like inspiration source, which they always were at Drybar. Uh, and also, again, recognizing like, holy shit, there's a lot that I'm not good at. So thank God I have an amazing team to help me do this. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's wild. I mean, the whole experience. It also speaks highly of uh, of you because for them, they've worked with you in the past. And then to say, here, take this. There's obviously a lot of trust in not only your creativity, but your ability to fulfill on what you talk about. Like you, you actually have happened what you say is going to happen. That's the first thing I got out of this. That mm-hmm. I know Allie pretty well, and she's just not going to let something go. Yeah, right? yeah. Especially something she cares very much about. So. Yeah, I've had a really. It, it is amazing. I mean, I always say it's like you know a pinch me opportunity or or a squeeze me opportunity, as <laughs> I like to say. Um, but I always like to use that kind of particular experience of Michael and Allie giving me this opportunity as a reminder for anyone out there who is working hard in like the, the grind of corporate America or working for people. Like you never know what someone else is going to see in you and what someone else is going to recognize as an opportunity for you to continue to grow and have really truly like the opportunity of a lifetime, which is what I feel I've been given. So you know, I, I love the idea of hopefully inspiring other people like myself five years ago who didn't know at all or really have a vision that I would be an entrepreneur or leading a company that people, sometimes people see the best in you, um, you know, that you can't even see in yourself. And so it's like, you'll, you never know really what doors are going to be open for you. So keep working hard out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what it's me. It's because I'm always thinking about what's happening for people at these moments of transition. And, you know, so you're kicking ass, working hard as a CMO, close friend, confidant to, you know, I know you work very closely with the whole trifecta of those two and Cam yeah. uh, as CMO. And and then you have a they have a conversation with you about, hey, here's our thought and we want you. I'm curious about for you in that moment in time, 
what was the kind of light side, dark side, you know, kind of the security excited and the insecurity. I'd love to hear about that kind of dynamic that ends up being this kind of like, oh, wow. And oh, wow, is both full of excitement and full of fear. Love to hear what that's what Mm -hmm. with that moment and what that season initial season was like. Yeah. Well, my husband would tell you that I knew from day one that I was going to jump at this, but I actually didn't. So I was, I had gotten to the point, it was kind of a, it was a dual path. Like I had gotten to the point at Drybar where I was itching for a new challenge. I've always been an entrepreneurial spirit. I really love like the chaos of the unknown and the building mode. And after opening over 60 doors and onboarding 20 plus franchisees and launching the product line into all the prestige retailers that it exists in today, like there was a part of me that was like, okay, I I'm ready for a new challenge. And Michael and Allie had, of course, always had this other idea in the back of their mind. So when I went to them, that's really when, you know, they were like, well, hey, I think you should really consider this. And since I had never, well, actually, Michael, the first thing that he said to me was, if you have anything that you want to do, like, I will back you, you know, like, I I will 100% support you. And I was like, I have no idea. Like, I I don't consider myself like an entrepreneur, (laughs) you know, I've kind of always been, as we just discussed this, like you know, executor, I'm like half visionary, half executor. So in any case, um, I, so I was like, I don't know, you know? And then he was like, well, remember this other idea that we've always had. And it wasn't even called squeeze at the time, but he was like, remember this other idea. Like if, if you want to take it and run with it, go for it. And I spent three months actually, um, determining whether or not I wanted to actually take it because, Clearly, I had built this amazing relationship with Michael, Ali, and Cam, and I love and respect them dearly. And I didn't want to get into a position like three months into it where I realized, holy shit, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. Never mind, peace out. I'm going to go take, you know, a bigger paying job down, down the road. And so it was, what I told Michael was, I will start to build out the model and I'll think about how the brand can be positioned and I'll understand the landscape of the industry. And in the meantime, I interviewed with several other companies. So I kind of, you know, sorted through like, what are the, what are my options? And the thing that got me, and obviously we know, we know how this ends, but the thing that got me really excited about moving forward with squeeze was you know, clearly demand for massage is really endless, thankfully. And now post pandemic, we're in a world where that's even more the case. Um, But what I realized was there wasn't a great brand or company out there that was focusing first on the people providing the services. And I really felt like, gosh, you know, at the end of the day, all we're doing is selling people's time. Like I would love to build a brand that really stands for something different. And, um, you know, and not only like celebrating people, but also we have this philanthropic component to the business, which we always wanted to do at dry bar, but it was like, you know, the wheels were turning so fast that we weren't able to like create this, this, um, integrated, you know, aspect of the brand that I felt like, well, we could do that now too. And what we do at squeeze is we partner with this company called canine companions. And for every membership that we sell, we're helping to provide a day of canine support to a person with a disability. So it's like, once I kind of started to really see the opportunity in this and that it would align a lot with my personal passions, I was like, okay, I'm in. But again, I really did take that time because I didn't want to burn bridges and, and also it's scary. It's like a big risk, right? I mean, you don't, you don't really know how it's all going to turn out, but like everyone always says, it's like better to try than not. And I, you know, and I'm a real believer, um, that like once you put your mind to something, anything's possible. And if there's a will, there's a way type of thing. So it was like, all right, I'll be all in. Let's do it. <laughs> what were some of the fears? You mentioned it being scary. And Adrian asked about the dark side of that moment. Um, so I'm a type three on the Enneagram, which is an achiever or a performer. And so like truly my biggest fear is not fear of failure, but fear of other people's uh, witnessing of my failure. Um, you know, I've always, like, I was an athlete growing up. I was a good student. I've always been trying really hard to like do a good job. So the idea of kind of being the one leading this company and controlling really like the potential outcome was really scary. Cause it's like, well, what will people think if, if it doesn't work? 
Um, so that's probably like the, the fear, but again, I think the way that I got over that, or that was the, the dark side, you know, I think the way that I got over it was again, it's like, I think regret is the worst feeling or like, you know, the thing that I, that I don't want to feel over people, you know, seeing I, whether or not I succeed or fail. And so it was like, well, at the end of the day, and I do this weird thing where I think about what my life and decisions are going to be on my deathbed, which might sound like the craziest thing ever, but it's like, when I look back on my life, am I going to be proud or happy or disappointed in, you know, decisions? And that was, this was one of those where it was like, gosh, I feel like if I don't take this opportunity, I'm going to look back and really wish that I did. And it's interesting because when I was a young man um, and I started out, just started developing what I'm, what we're doing now. I had a huge opportunity to go to Japan and run a, a training development company in Japan. And then my father wanted me to take over his business when he's in the the theater business, in the exhibition business. And I was really stuck. Do I go start this thing I want to do? Do I go to Japan? And really, there's a huge offer. They bring my kids over, put them in private school, pay me well. Or do I go work for my father and take over the company the family business, it's a fairly good-sized business. And I went to my father to ask him about it. And was what he told me is along what you just said. He said, here's, you know, of course, we'd love to have you come here. But here's what I would do if I were you. Go home, write down the three opportunities. And then you get up in the morning, ask yourself, think about when you're 65 years old, yeah. which one are you going to say, I wish I would have done that? Yeah. And and that that's the one I did, which I I'm now 66 years old and I'm so glad because when I made the choice, I went from making I was a young man making two, three hundred thousand a year. And I went down to making fifteen hundred a month to learn what I'm doing. It was like yeah. a restart. Right. And I'm so glad I did it. But and my wife was completely in on it because of that process. Yeah. You know, when we talked about it and, you know, we had a, a, a little boy and here, I'm going to take this big cut and pay. And how do we, right. But you never, on the, in the long run, I think even if it didn't work, if it failed, it would have led me to what was most important. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, that's amazing. And also we, I feel like we're best as humans when we are growing and being challenged. And that's exactly what you did was you started over. It's like, you weren't afraid to be a beginner again, which I yeah. feel like is really, truly where mm. we are, you know, get the most satisfaction and it's not what society tells us. And, you know, it's like, you need success, but it's not, I don't, it's not that, you know, it's like, what are you doing every day that you're growing and learning and challenging yourself and, um, you know, hopefully bettering everyone around you at the same time. Yeah. And what you illuminated for me in that is courage. We talked about this before, but it just came back to the surface. Courage is actually knowing what to really be afraid of. Like if I'm really concerned, if I get that the future I'm going to be having coming my way is something I don't want, I have a lot more courage in the moment to do the difficult things to get on to what I really do want. But I, I've oh. got to be willing to see that, right? I love that. I've never heard that quote. That's amazing. Yeah, it's just something we kind of stumbled on. I think in our last, we did a podcast on fear and courage. And yeah. I think Adrian actually brought it up, but it really hit me. I was like, yes, when you, you, it's what you did. And it's what my, my father kind of invited me into was, is it, what future do you see coming and which one do you want? Which one at 65 are you going to regret? That's the one you want to do. So. Okay. Well, good. You're making me, you're making me feel better. They're <laughs> <laughs> not so crazy. <laughs> no, hell no. You're, you're inspiring. Yeah. You have, yeah. you have to have a bit of crazy though. You it's have to be true. have a bit of crazy to be inspiring, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, no, it's uh, it's very true. To well, to further, oh, go ahead, Dan. Well, I was going to say you illuminated something else that stuck in my ears, which was that this new possibility initially came across. It felt like a threat because it was it's dangerous, right? But yeah. but isn't that true about all possibility, right? Like it first shows up like a threat. It's something you wouldn't normally act on right? because it's outside of what you've been used to. You've been used to being more like a, like a, a COO second, yep. you know, you're and you like doing that. And now you're being called into a new realm. And it made me think also of uh, Elizabeth Gilbert's big magic 
Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And your willingness to court your genius. Because if you don't, it may go on to somebody else, right? Yep. That all fits in this whole dialogue. I, uh, I always tell people that if you have that like pit in your in your belly, like that feeling of just like discomfort, like that's you're in the right place. Like that's yeah, a good right. like, you know, embrace that because it means that again, growth and challenge and fulfillment are all right, right ahead. All right, good stuff. So to further wave the Brittany flag, we've all been, you know, waving it high, which rightfully so. Um, I, I, my first experience with you was in, uh, an experience that we call, um, impact series. And you had brought in, obviously your relationship with Allie and Allie was, was co-leading this workshop for, um, for founders where we come together for a weekend for three days and just really get at it after a single challenge that they're up against. And you were brought in on the last afternoon, um, as, uh, as somebody expert who had experienced so much. And I, I, I just, uh, my experience of you coming into that room, you grounded it immediately. Mm. And it was just like, you just, it was all the attention, all the, everything was drawn to you. And, and it was your presence. It was the way that you brought love and acceptance, but also experience. And like, one of my first thoughts was like, Oh, she's seen some shit. Mm. Um, (laughs) (laughs) because there was just this, this, this sense of like seeing some shit and, and thrived in it was my experience. And I didn't know, still know very little about you. Um, but I do know a little bit of the, some of the challenges that came about when you guys were launching squeeze, and maybe you can explain a little bit about the concept and then the, the time that it was that you guys were launching. And then I'd be interested to just follow up and kind of talk a little bit about how you face those challenges and, and what are some of the things that got you through? Yeah. Well, thank you for those kind words. That's, um, that's very nice to hear. Uh, okay. So really quickly squeeze the, the concept behind it is, uh, our tagline is a way better massage experience. And we're fortunate to work with the same founding team as Drybar, So we get the creative branding genius of Cam and his team and really creating a brand. I like to call it a love brand that people, you know, naturally are gravitated to and really feel good where we talk about squeeze as a feel good company. You know, you have that like emotional pull and draw. And then we're, we've on the architectural side and the in-person experience, we work at the same architect as dry bar. And so there's all sorts of like surprise and delight moments that exist within our space. It's really beautiful and sophisticated, similar to dry bar. We looked at the landscape and, you know, on one end of the spectrum, there's the low end discount chains, which I always like to say to their credit have made massage accessible to the masses, but lack a lot from a consumer experience standpoint. And then on the flip side, there's high end hotels and spas, which we all love, but are unattainable for a regular experience. And so at Squeeze, we brought in similar to dry bar, that luxury, sophisticated experience, but at an affordable price point. The biggest differentiator on top of those things is we've built out a proprietary technology platform via an iPhone app or our website, squeezemassage.com, where our guests are able to book, set all their personalized preferences, everything from areas of the body they want focused on, what they want avoided, if they want more or less pressure, do they want their table heated, if they want oil or lotion, all saved to their profile, shared with the therapist prior to the guest walking in, and then post-massage, like Uber and Postmates, guest a rate tip and review at their leisure. So we like to say guests walk in and flow out. It's a very relaxing experience. We've tried to eliminate a lot of the awkward, clunky in-person exchanges that typically happen. Uh, We even have a ready button on the table. So you as the guest, let the therapist know when you're ready for them to re-enter. Um, you know, there's no awkward tipping or checkout lines, all of that. So that's really, that's really our concept. That's what we're all about. Um, in addition to, as I mentioned earlier, just a ton of focus and emphasis on the employee side, but we launched our flagship in March of 2019, uh, in studio city in Los Angeles. And we were open for 11 months before the world had different plans for us. And, uh, you know, and then we were closed for a good year. Um, and we, at the time that we closed, we were just starting our franchising efforts to scale nationally. The business performed better than we all could have hoped. We were like well on our way to kind of this grand vision and plan that we all had of hopefully having, you know, between three and 500 units around the country. And we had sold a a three pack, which is what in, in franchising is three units, uh, in Denver, And 
And then it was like, you know, I mean, we all remember it was like every two weeks, two weeks, two weeks. And then it was like, it's definitely not going to be just two weeks. Um, And in the beginning, when we didn't have really any idea what was ahead of us, it was like, okay, again, like the first thing we focused on was our people. I I actually kept our entire team employed for a month um, because I didn't want to furlough them. I wanted them to stay engaged. I really wanted to hold true to like our commitment of um, loving them really, you know, and I always like encourage our management team that I want our people to feel seen and valued first and foremost for who they are as human beings and then celebrated for the contributions that they're making to the company. And so I felt like we really had to like hold true to that idea that these people have families and they have lives and they have rent to pay and and all, all of that. But of course, after a month and not knowing what the future held, we had to, we had to furlough the team. And, you know, I feel like it was kind of after that, that it was, it was really like so hard. <laughs> I'm, you know, I've all, as, as I mentioned earlier, I've kind of always been like a go-getter. I'm a driver. I don't really let anything get in my way. I don't take no for an answer. I feel like there's always a way that you can make something work, but I couldn't open a massage concept during a global pandemic, especially in the heart of Los Angeles. Um, and we had invested so much money and time into this brand and this business and this vision. And so I also couldn't like pivot and just say, well, never mind. I'm going to go do another thing. And so it was kind of this, like I say, I was like sitting in the suck, you know, it was really like the first time in my life where I had to sit quietly and like deal with my own thoughts and my own insecurities. And, you know, and then you start to question too, like, who am I really, you know, cause you place your identity so much in what you do. And when all of a sudden you're like, not sure whether or not what you do is going to be a thing anymore, or like, I don't know. So it was, you know, I'm, I always try and be really, really honest and like vulnerable about this time for me, because it was really, it was so hard. It was challenging in ways that I'd never experienced. And, um, and I think, again, I tried really hard in the beginning to like stay connected to the team. And, and we stayed connected to everyone as much as we could through that year. But clearly like a year is a long time just to, you know, kind of be constantly checking in and, and trying to provide hope. Right. I mean, that was my role. My role was to inspire and like make the team feel like, don't worry. And that's constantly what we said was like, listen, guys, this isn't going to be and if it's just going to be a when of when we reopen of when we come back. Um, and I did truly believe that, like, you know, I knew that that was the case, but certainly not knowing when, when was <laughs> is a hard thing. And then you think about anything in life where you're having to rebuild momentum, like fitness program, diet, whatever. I mean, it's the hardest thing, right? It's so much easier to stay consistent beyond the path. Like, just keep at it because it's to start all over again. It's just so much work and daunting. And that's ultimately what we had to do with squeeze. And so I, you know, I think as cheesy as it sounds, um, I am, I have always been a believer that like you can do anything you put your mind to. Um, but I think I believe that more than anything now. And I think what this experience taught me was I don't think the most successful or the most accomplished or the happiest, however you want to put it, people are, um, I don't think they're the most educated. I don't think they're the most experienced. I don't think they're the most well-connected. Obviously, all of those things certainly help. But I think the most successful people at the end of the day are the people who are willing and brave enough to just keep going. And that's, I think, what at the end of the day, you know, I'm really proud of our team for just like ultimately going back to why we started and believing in the vision and just knowing that we were going to do just that. We were going to keep going. But it was, it was hard. I mean, I'm, you know, we're all human. So (laughs) I love that. Yeah. Earlier in the conversation, you, you said it like kind of laughing and offhand, you said, keep going out there people. But I I actually like, yeah, it it is really true. And I love that that came back up in a much more like realistic tone and, and a much more like grounded, um, uh, like scenario because 
um, I just, I, I'm wondering, I kept thinking of like, well, that's, that's great. Yes. Keep going, keep doing it, keep going. Right. How, like, how do you, we call this self-leadership or we talk about self-leadership a lot you know, on this podcast. And, you know, the first, first person we lead is ourselves. Yeah. Um, and because we're, because we're everything we, we want to quit. And we also don't let ourselves quit. And, you know, and, and we get to choose which voice inside of our heads leads in the moment. Um, and I'm just wondering for you, like, what's that experience of self-leadership like? What's like, especially through this tr challenge, um, how do you think about that? Do you think about that? Like, how do you lead yourself? And I don't know, I just, I, I I'm more curious about that. Yeah. When I started Squeeze, so this was back in 2017, I actually, I mentioned earlier that I suffered a really bad back injury and um, I was actually traveling in Florida. I was by myself. I threw my back out to the point of like, I had to go to multiple ERs. I was bedridden when I got home after, you know, canceling several flights because I could barely move. Um, I was like bedridden for six months when I got home. I, it took me two years to like build back to just any type of semblance of like physical health. And then getting the opportunity to start squeeze in the health and wellness space, I really made this commitment to myself. Like I'm never gonna allow myself to get back to that type, that state. And so there were a lot of new habits and practices that I started to incorporate into my daily routine that I think to your question of like, what are the motivating factors or things, habits that I'm doing to keep myself um, motivated and inspired and grounded is, um, are those things. So I'll share some of them. Um, and I'm sure, you know, these are things that you guys probably do and things that other people say, but I really do believe that like they make a big difference. Um, one of them is I meditate, you know, I started meditating using headspace. Um, I now love wake up with Sam Harris, but, um, you know, I think meditation is such a, beautiful exercise in, in controlling your mind. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, I am a big believer that mindset is your superpower. That's like my mantra. I feel like, especially for this time in my life, like you do have to figure out how you keep your mind as healthy and as positive as possible. And so meditation is one of those things for me. Uh, I also write in a gratitude journal and I feel like actually physically writing things down. I write five things that I'm grateful for from the past 24 hours and I feel like the 24 hours part is the key to doing that because it really forces you to start to recognize all of the beauty around us. And as hard as life can be, and in the deep, dark seasons, like there is still beauty, there's still good to be had. And um, when you start to look for it, you know, you really recognize how much it is around. So that has been such a game changer for my own mindset and my, my mental health. Um, I've always been a, a person of faith, so I do pray. And, you know, I think that that aspect allows for a little bit of peace of mind that I, I'm not like the one solely in control. Um, but also physically, you know, I try and get outside and, and, and work out and, and sweat. I always say like sweating is, uh, or fitness working out is good for the body, better for the mind. So it's like all of those things I would say are kind of the things that help me to stay in my best form and the best shape. I don't always stay on track. I also want to be super candid about that. Like I'm a pretty all or nothing person. And most of the time I'm like going at it, you know, lightning speed, but, um, so sometimes I fall off, off track, but, um, but you know, the more I'm consistent in doing those things, just the better I'm showing up for myself and my team and, um, you know, and the people that I love. So those are some of my some of the things that I feel like are self are, are my self leadership hacks. You know, I, well, I, 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 along those lines, cause those are all things that really make sense. And there, I think about what are some of your mental practices? Cause you, you're, I mean, to do what you do, there's a lot that requires your willingness to do things that are uncomfortable mm -hmm. in the moment, but necessary and very important. So if you don't, nail them there you end up working twice as hard later on yeah. and so there's probably i i imagine there are some mental disciplines that you use to keep yourself in the moment with what's going on even when it's really shitty you know it's 
it's actually interesting that you use that word. I have a few personal values for myself. And one of them is to chase discomfort. Um, because again, just going back to when you're doing that, like you're, you're in the best possible place to set yourself up for, for success and growth. Um, yeah, it's, you know, this, this idea or this question is hard for me because I've always been like a glass half full person always, you know, I really have like, I was a competitive swimmer growing up and my high school didn't have a swim team. And so I decided that I wanted to play basketball and my dad was like, all right, let's get out, let's get out on the court and we'll, we'll practice. I'll show you some things. And I was like, dad, please, I got it. Like, I'm just going to show up to tryouts. Like I'll be fine. And he's like, I think we should go at least like, you know, get a ball in your hand and see if you have any, you know, any semblance <laughs> of talent, which by the way, I was not talented. I, I had a good corner jumper, but that was about it. But I hustled, you know, I worked really hard. Like I, you know, I, I hustled and I ended up leading the team, being the team captain. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, it was like, I would, cause I believed in people, like I rooted my team on and I, I kind of like inspired this, like, we can do it guys. So I don't, I, part of me feels like it's just a little bit of my DNA, like my makeup. I, I, you know, I, I'm just, I naturally think that thing like there's, there's good out there and there's opportunity. Um, you may ask. So do you, it sounds like you can tell me that you look for how this can turn out. Well, yeah. That's like, it's optimistic. Like, I believe the future can turn out well. How can we have this mess turn out well? What yeah. would be the idea? That's a that's a real discipline because it's so easy to go to the other side and say, mm-hmm. this is never going to turn out. And I get skeptical and I then I don't want to give myself. I actually have a good reason not to because in my skepticism, I become cynical and then withhold myself. And then it doesn't turn out. And I'm settling for being right about that and yeah. having to give up the things I am most passionate about. So it's just as easy to go down the other side. Yeah. Yeah. I think too, um, the other important piece of it, at least professionally, is I think that when you are either building a company or you work for a company, there has to be a bigger purpose than what you are physically selling. There's this great Seth Godin quote, which is a favorite of mine, which is people don't buy products and services. They buy relations, stories, and magic. And so I think what always was like a massive driver for me was this idea that we could create this feel-good experience that would exist in communities all around America and hopefully maybe the world. And like, what an amazing ripple effect that could create for communities. Not again, just in the guest experience side, but more so like on the employee side. That means thousands of people who love coming to work every day and who feel valued and recognized as as people, like who they are at their core. And so I think, I think that's the other piece of it is like, okay, there's something bigger than myself. And there's something bigger that we are trying to, to create and drive forward. And so it's like, how do you give up on that? Like maybe you can give up on yourself, but like the idea of actually impacting people in a way that is positive and forward moving in, you know, in this, you know, place that we are in time, like that feels too big and too important to give up on. Yeah. I, I, I had a couple of observations that hit me. One most recently in the conversation was, you know, it's just, it's just funny. It's funny how people talk about things is like people like you would say something like you said, which is I wasn't very talented. I had a corner jumper. I wasn't very talented, but I hustled really hard and I was the team captain. Right. So isn't that funny? <laughs> that, <laughs> hmm, that, that, like, so, and, and even I'm connecting the ideas between like, um, to connect maybe to Dan's observation or that framework of his observations, like what are the mental models that actually fuel you or, or maybe or even, you know, oars for the boat, if you will, like what keeps you moving forward? That's a powerful one, which is I've got a view of the future that I want. I might not be the most talented person, quote unquote, talented, as if, I mean, that's usually people talk about that, you know, unidimensionally instead of multidimensionally, which you've proven to be true which is, oh, I can lead people without being the most talented person in the room. Mm-hmm. Well, shit, that opens up the world. If that's true, 
If I'm un, if I'm like less competent than the other four than the other four players, but I'm leading them because I'm the most what I believe in them the most. I have I, I like the most encouraging. I'm the most supportive. I'm the hardest hustler. You know, it's like. So yeah. it's like this, I'm optimistic and I don't need to be the smartest person in the room, the most talented person in the room. I actually bring all of the potential of my resource to the, to the party. And that's powerful. I mean, I just, I, I want that to be noticed because I want to notice that shit because there's plenty of things I don't do <laughs> because, because I fear my lack of competency will be the leader instead of what's, what else I can bring. There's something else I noticed that for you is a total throwaway line. You probably, I mean, you're so articulate. You don't even probably know. I mean, you're, you're like very unconsciously competent, you know, that whole framework. <laughs> yeah. You know, you just don't know how brilliant you are. Um, but you said, you, it, you said something like, and I wrote, I wrote down the words. You said something like, yeah, well, there are things that I do to keep myself motivated, inspired, and grounded. And, I thought, I, and then you went on to give all the 15 things you do, which is also worth noting, by the way, leaders that are listening, if you don't have some, in, some deep intentionality about how to take care of your own backyard, you're in trouble. But sorry, the point is, there, oh, there brother, preach, that, preach. There are things, <laughs> well, hold on. Well, I want to yeah, put a pin on some of this brilliance because it, it got me thinking about what makes you awesome. Like part of what makes you right really awesome is, you know, there are the things I do to keep myself motivated, inspired and grounded. And I thought about, wow, what a beautiful, maybe even invisible to you, holistic, aim because hmm. you're you're committed to being in i'll put them in a different order you're committed to being inspired like being connected to your own personal vision corporate vision where we're headed future worth having that's amazing second is i'm committed to being grounded like really being connected to reality like yeah. the challenges that are at hand the issues that are at hand the you already said you're really great at like listening beyond the conversation wanting knowing what the real unspoken concerns are of people Leaders we work with all the time want to just drive right past that. Mm -hmm. um, want to be like in a visionary, but actually not be not be an effective leader because they aren't willing to be grounded and be willing to like turn over the rocks they'd rather walk over. Um, but then and also motivated, which is the okay. I'm connected to a future. I'm connected to myself in reality. But what action's what matters. Period. If I don't take action, if I don't motivate myself towards action, then it's just great stories instead of actually world-changing events. So anyway, I just want to point that out. It's really brilliant. Wow. Thank you. I feel like I'm in like the best therapy session I've ever been in. It's <laughs> come like... on, come on. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, I think it's well, great. Wait till you get the invoice. I'm sure you won't think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good stuff. I might, I might be quoting you. Um, but anyway, yeah. I think it's just—I think it's just really brilliant. I know I think I chopped up there, but I just think it's really brilliant and worth celebrating. I mean, we're we're here to be a resource for leaders to do the internal work to make an external difference. Yep. And those you give—you've given them so much to think about. So yeah. thank you for that contribution. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I would say vulnerability for me has been a a goal in um connecting with other women in particular but but entrepreneurs on the whole you know it's like you you do need to have a sense of confidence and believing in yourself and again going back to like your purpose and your why and your vision and staying true to it but there does also need to be this like you're not the answer <laughs> you're not it um you, you know great things don't happen alone you need really wonderful people around you to offset your weaknesses and in order for that to really happen you have to acknowledge like listening and being open to other people's inputs and perspective and um yeah it's been a journey for me you know I mean I have a chief operating officer who's my right hand his name is David Warner he's been with me from pretty much day one he really was the plug-in of technology in our business. Um, whereas, you know, obviously we all had the, the experience side and he and I couldn't be more different, like yin and yang to the nth degree. Um, and so we had a lot of really hard conversations, like the hardest conversations I feel, I feel like I've really ever had 
in perfect in a professional setting around like how I show up, how he shows up, how like we're going to partner together to make this work. And, you know, we both challenged each other in really different ways. Um, and I, I look back on some of those conversations and realize that I, if it were me 10 years ago, I probably would have been so closed off and like, you don't know what you're talking about, or, you know, I'm just going to continue to do it my way. But I really, and you know, if he was listening to this, he would be like, "Mm -hmm, yeah, but there's still this, that, and the other thing. But I do think (laughs) to a degree, I really listened, like I took heart to what he was saying, you know, and I was like, okay, I'm going to, I can't remember who said it, someone very famous, like Steve Jobs or something, but it's like, you know, you, you do bring in people who are smarter than you to tell you what to do, not the other way around. And so I, I think that's been like a huge part in my own personal journey is like, okay, you don't, you don't have to be, I'm, I'd make a, I make decisions by my gut. I'm a gut decision maker. I really believe in data clearly as a marketer, but like, I generally will, will like know what I'm going to, what the decision is going to be most of the time. Um, and so that can sometimes put you in positions where you're, you say things that you regret, you like wish you could have, you know, taken a little bit more time to review, et cetera, et cetera. And I guess I'm kind of rambling at this point, but my point is just that I think, um, I think as leaders, the best job that we can possibly do is, to listen more than talk and to recognize that we have so many more weaknesses than we probably think we do. And so to just acknowledge and be okay with that and know that you can still make impact and you can still achieve great things. You just, you just need other people's help and, you know, give them as much respect, you know, as, as you want. Yeah. That's a, that's a great pin for the end of this conversation. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Right. At the beginning of that, you said something, it, I'd have to rewind the tape to get it exactly right. But you said like, I realized it wasn't about me. Mm. Yeah. And um, that, that is what I wanted to really point out at the end of this. This has been awesome. I've been excited for this conversation ever since we met in Nashville and I asked you to do it and you didn't disappoint. There's so much we didn't get to. Franchising, <laughs> franchising is such a hot topic for oh, people we gotta who have listen back. to our we, stuff. So we got to have you back to talk about some of the challenges and exciting things about franchising. I think that would be really fun. I would love that. Yes, let's do it. Awesome. Thanks so much, Brittany. Thank you for having mm-hmm. me. Ciao. Brittany. Bye-bye, everybody. my friends, thank you so much for listening to yet another conversation on the Naked Leadership Podcast. Your listenership and commitment to the podcast means the world to us. If this podcast or these conversations has helped or inspired you in any way, would you mind going to Apple Podcasts and leaving a five-star rating and a glowing review? This helps us grow the movement and reach more leaders and teams. Finally, the greatest compliment that you can give us is sharing the podcast with your teams and the other leaders in your life. Until next week, bye-bye everybody.